real estate investors right now have so much competition with postcards and texting and cold calling and all that kind of stuff that people need different marketing sources because they're all getting played up so much. Whereas TV, there's not much competition. I mean, if you look on TV for real estate investing, there's not much competition out there, which bring, you know, to completely opens the door, getting investing leads from TV and uh, set yourself apart from the competition. So, I mean, it builds a lot of credibility. It's great for branding. It's very automated. So last year I spent three hours probably on my TV commercial marketing campaign. You know, I see a consistent flow of deals coming from TV. And unless I see numbers go down from TV, I don't really do much to it. I may film an extra commercial or two just to kind of test and tweak things. But I feel like I've got really good commercials that work now. I know what stations we need to be on, what shows we need to be on, and it's providing a very consistent return. So that's where we spend a bulk of our money, and that's where our most consistent leads come from. This is the Everything Real Estate Investing Show with Sean Penn, where we interview local real estate investors and professionals to go over tips, tricks, and investing strategies to help you learn about the business and to enable you to achieve your financial goals. And now, welcome to the show. What's going on, everyone? And welcome to episode 221 of the Everything Real Estate Investing Show with Sean Pan. In this episode, we have Tony Javier. Tony is the owner of an Inc. 5000 rated real estate investment company, and he has been investing in real estate since 2001 and has completed close to 1,000 flips. In this episode, Tony will be teaching us how to use TV ads to get motivated sellers to call you. Running TV ads is great because it establishes you as an authority in the space and it helps you when you negotiate with the sellers. So if you want to learn about a non-traditional way to market to home sellers, then you need to listen to this episode. And if you enjoy this podcast, do me a quick favor and leave a review on the Apple Podcast app. If you love it, give us five stars. And if you hate it, hey, give us one star. But in any case, leave us a review. It'll help the show a lot and will help us grow to get more listeners. And the more listeners we have, the more we can invest in this podcast and invite better guests. And who knows, by spreading the show, we might be able to reach someone who needs to listen to it so that they can learn about real estate investing and potentially change their lives. This real estate market is also incredibly hot. So if you're looking for a hard money loan for your fix and flip projects, or if you're looking for a 30-year fixed loan for rental properties, you can contact me at sean at everythingrei.com. That's S-E-A-N at everythingrei.com. Let me know that you're a podcast listener and I'll give you a discount on our processing fee. And now on to the show. All right, Tony, thank you so much for being on the show today. Go ahead and introduce yourself and let us know who you are and tell us what you do. Yeah, my name is Tony Javier. I've been in real estate for 20 years now. I got started in real estate by buying the no down payment system by Carlton Sheets, if you guys remember that back in the day. Sean, you may be a little bit too young for that, but yeah, back in 2001, I bought the course while I was in college. I ended up dropping out of college uh, with nine hours left to graduate and started my real estate investing business. Been great since then. So I've got a great team in Wichita, Kansas that runs my operation. You know, the first 10 years of my business, I did everything myself and had a lot of struggles with, you know, people and, you know, all that crazy stuff, hiring and scaling up. And then, you know, I made a commitment about 10 years ago after I fired my whole staff to just hire better people and to slowly get myself out of the business within about Three years, I was able to automate my business to where I was doing a high volume of flips in Wichita, Kansas, and eventually met my wife and we ended up moving to Southern California. So I live in San Diego now, enjoy the weather and lifestyle here while I buy cheap real estate in Wichita, Kansas. That's wonderful. So let's go ahead and talk about your entire process. Like, What are you exactly automating? So I automate everything I possibly can in my business. If there's anything that's duplicatable, if it's anything that I should say is done more than once and done frequently, 
we automate it. So, you know, like for instance, I've got, you know, we do a pretty high volume of deals. So, and I try and be as hands off as possible. So we have a really good system to where when my team goes out on appointments, so our marketing is, is fairly automated, our system of handling leads and getting our acquisitions person to go out is pretty automated. And then when I start touching the deals where they send me the contract and I look at, you know, the comparable sales and the budgets and things like that, it literally takes me about three minutes or less to look at a deal and say, we're good to go on this deal or we're not. And 99% of the time we're good to go on the deal because of the automation, because they know what we're looking for. They know how to put the properties in the spreadsheet. They know how to run the comparable sales. They know how to send it to me in a format that I don't have to ask for 10 things. They have it all there to where I can pull up pictures and comps and budgets and all that good stuff. So if I have any questions, it's basically all there. And then I work with my investors. So I may send the investor my deal. I have my team send some of my investors deals. And literally, I don't really touch it much other than when it's under contract, when there's issues in the middle where my team says, hey, we've got an issue here. And then when we put the property in the market and then the contract negotiation. So I spend probably an average of 30 minutes on a real estate flip. Whereas, you know, back 10 years ago, when I told you I was wearing a lot of the hats, I would spend, I mean, I don't know what the number of hours I spent on real estate deals, but it was a lot more than 30 minutes. I can tell you that. Oh, for sure. And I'm sure you had to actually have gone through those 10 years of understanding the business to be able to have like the comfortableness of being able to automate everything, right? There's no way that someone's brand new is going to want to automate their entire business from day one. A lot of the great things that come out of business are from struggles. So I embrace struggles now because anytime I have a struggle, like for instance, I funded a deal for a real estate investor that I may end up losing 70 grand on. But I embrace that because I'm starting to do a high volume of deals and I learned a lot on that deal that I will never do that again. And a lot of that happened in my real estate business where, you know, I just had so many struggles that it brought me to a point where I had to make changes and I had to adapt and make systems or, you know, make decisions based on the things that happened in my business that got me to where I am now to where, you know, we put so many things in place and learned so much that, now I don't have to spend nearly as much time in my business. So yeah, I mean, you have to go through it. You have to, you know, sometimes you have to have the struggles in order to get to where you want to be. Do you have any like key challenges that you've had in the past that, you know, you're taking these lessons going forward? Yeah, I think the biggest thing I kind of touched on was just people, you know, and I always compare the first 10 years to my second 10 years because they're dramatically different. So the first 10 years was, you know, struggling with people. It was hiring the wrong people. It was fi- trying to find the cheapest people, trying to get away with with maybe not hiring an, as many people. So between not, you know, saving money, not hiring people. And then when I did hire people, hiring cheap people and not having a higher standard of people, it was a, a real struggle. So again, I hit rock bottom 10 years ago where I'm like, I'm starting over. I've got people stealing from me. I've got people that aren't showing up. And then that's where I made the decision to start hiring just way higher quality people. So I brought my sister on board 10 years ago. She's still with me today. I wouldn't be able to do nearly what I do without her. And that was the first big hire. And then from then I just kept making really good hires to where eventually I was able to step out of my business. So I would say that's the number one thing that I like to talk about is, and not only people from a standpoint of hiring, but it's also a standpoint of people that you surround yourself with. So it took me even until about 2000, I think 2013 or 14 was the first time I attended a mastermind event where I was around high level, high quality people. And now I run masterminds myself. I join high quality masterminds. So people just in general, people you hire, people you surround yourself with, people that mentor you, people that coach you, 
just like having people on your team that are good quality people that can help you go so much further, so much faster. I would say that's the biggest thing that I would say that I would talk about to people when they say, hey, you know, what is it that you would talk about or what is it would you would really press upon people when they're getting started with investing in real estate or just business in general? Yeah, I talk to a lot of people who ask me questions all the time as well. So I host a meetup group locally here in the Bay Area. And I say, yeah, personally, from going to meetup groups, I got a lot of it. I learned from different people. There are so many things that you hear on a podcast, but you can't really implement without getting actual guidance. So by going to networking events and surrounding yourself with these right kind of people, that's how you can actually get to where you want to be. So yeah, wonderful advice to join masterminds and surround yourself with the right people. Now, I was wondering what a typical deal looks like over in Wichita, Kansas. It's funny. You live in San Francisco. I live in San Diego. So if we talk to people in our local market, they're like, there's no way you can buy properties for this price. So we buy properties anywhere from, I think the cheapest property I've brought is about $10,000, but we usually our acquisition price is between $60,000 and $150,000, give or take. So when I tell people in California, I can buy a house for $60,000 in Kansas, they're like, there's no way that's possible. But the Midwest, you can find good deals, you know, and that's why I invest in Wichita, Kansas and, and live in San Diego is I get the best of both roles. I get to live in a great place, but I also get to invest in cheap real estate. So I'd say our average fix and flip, so we do multiple things. So we buy a property as a flip. Sometimes we wholetail it, which for those who don't know, is basically just kind of cleaning up the property, maybe doing some minor maintenance, putting it back on the market and selling it, or we'll flip it. And then when we flip it and we do a nice renovation, either we will keep it as a rental or we will turn around and sell it. And then sometimes we also do rent to own or owner carry. So we have multiple exit strategies. And that's the great thing about Midwest real estate, especially in Wichita, Kansas. In fact, I've got a lot of investors from California that invest in my properties in California, because if they bought something in California, it'd be 500, 600, $700,000 for the same house. They can invest 60 to 100 to maybe $120,000 with me, make a really good return and be in the real estate game. Whereas, you know, in California, it'd be a lot tougher. So, so we have cheap real estate out there. You know, we have good margins, you know, in San Diego, I think margins have thinned over the years. Now, right now is a really hot market. So I think the margins have gotten bigger because as people buy properties three, four months later, they're worth more just because that's the way the market's going right now. But I make about as much money on $150,000 property as some investors make in Southern California on 500 to $700,000 properties. So we have really good margins, low risk, and a lot of different exit strategies. Yeah, that's right. So if you buy a property for $60,000, how much would you say you put into the property to fix it up? And then what do you think the average ARV is? So it depends on the deal. I mean, we buy a $60,000 house and needs $50,000 and it needs $50,000 remodel, or it may need 20,000. Well, let's just throw out a middle number and say, you know, we buy property for 60, we put 30 into it. We'll sell that anywhere from 120 to 150,000. So on the low end, we'll make 15 to 20,000 on it. And then on that same deal, we just made actually on a $130,000 property, we made 50 grand the other day because we did... It wasn't quite a wholesale. It wasn't quite a retail. It was kind of in between where we did a rental ready rehab. We kind of tested a property and we said, okay, the market is so hot that people are paying like stupid prices. So we decided to do a rental ready rehab where we saved $30,000 on the renovation by just doing paint, carpet, you know, basic stuff. And it still sold for a retail price, but we had very little into it. So those are kind of our general numbers. But yeah, usually our rehabs are anywhere from you know, 20,000 on the low end, I say that's low unless we really hotel a property and just really clean it up. But we get into 50 to $100,000 plus rehabs if the numbers make sense. 
And then do you have your own crew to help you with this or do you subcontract out all the work? We subcontract everything. I do have two guys on staff that do a lot of punch list stuff. So instead of at the end, asking our contractors to come back and bid stuff or clean stuff up, I'll have, I got a couple of guys that are just going to do punch list stuff. They've been with me a long time. So that helps us get deals on the market faster and have a lot of rental properties. They do maintenance on those properties, but 97% of what we do on properties is subcontracted and we are the general contractor. So we hire the roofers, the painters, the flooring guys, so we can save a lot of money doing that as opposed to having a general contractor that manages the whole job. So that's not for everybody. I mean, you have to have a really good person on your team to manage all that because it's a lot of details, but we have a really good team and we save a lot of money that way. So we are the general contractor. Awesome. And how do you go about financing all of your deals? So we have a few different methods. Sometimes we pay cash. A lot of the times we like to bring in other investors. Like I mentioned earlier, we bring in a lot of investors to fund our deals because we like to leverage our money and do more with our money. And then we do bank financing sometimes. Most of the time we do private money lenders because they're quick, they're fast, it's easy. I can go to one of my private lenders, send them, for instance, I sent an email Friday to one of my investors, he emailed Saturday and said, hey, where do I wire the money? We can get the money within like a day or two. It's much faster. We don't have to go through appraisals and things of that nature. So, Cool. And then for your private money lenders, do you ask them for like the whole purchase price amount and then the construction costs and then you give them like a flat rate or is it more of an equity share for that? We do rehab plus acquisition. So if we buy a property for 60 and we put uh, 30,000 into it, then we'll ask for the whole 90,000. And they're pretty secured because they've got a, you know, 120, $150,000 property that it's secured by. So we do ask for the full purchase plus renovations. And then we carry the closing costs and insurance and all that kind of stuff. Nice. So I guess we'll get to the, the meat of the interview today. How do you go about marketing to get so much, so many deals in your pipeline? So again, the first 10 years of my business to the next 10 years automated to, or not as automated to now automated with people and systems and things like that. So about nine years ago, I got, I came across TV. I actually played poker with a guy that was on TV for his contracting business. And I recognized him and, you know, it was kind of weird because it was kind of like a celebrity status, right? It was like, oh man, I'm playing with this guy. I see him on TV all the time. So I asked him about TV and he's like, man, we're crushing it. We get so much business off TV. It's great branding. It's great credibility, all that kind of stuff. And so he's like, you know, I'll hook you up with my media guy. He's like, I've seen your social media a little bit. You know, why don't you check it out and see if TV's good for you? So he called the media buyer. He talked me through the whole thing. He helped me produce the commercial, helped me get on the air. Long story short, nine years ago, first month, we spent $3,000. We got $35,000 back in return. And then from there, we just had a consistent flow of deals. So last month in January, we locked up four deals off of our TV commercials. And right now, as I mentioned earlier, before we started filming that real estate investors right now have so much competition with postcards and texting and cold calling and all that kind of stuff that people need different marketing sources because they're all getting played up so much. Whereas TV, there's not much competition. I mean, if you look on TV for real estate investing, there's not much competition out there, which bring, you know, to completely opens the door, getting investing leads from TV and uh, set yourself apart from the competition. So, I mean, it builds a lot of credibility. It's great for branding. It's very automated. So last year I spent three hours probably on my TV commercial marketing campaign. You know, I see a consistent flow of deals coming from TV and Unless I see, you know, numbers go down from TV, I don't really do much to it. I may film an extra commercial or two just to kind of test and tweak things. But I feel like I've got really good commercials that work now. I know what stations we need to be on, what shows we need to be on, and it's providing a very consistent return. So 
that's where we spend a bulk of our money and that's where our most consistent leads come from. If you were to kind of break down the percentage of your marketing budget, how much would you say goes into these TV ads versus other things like direct mail or cold calling and stuff like that? I would say at least half. It depends on the month, right? You know, like sometimes we'll do direct mail, like direct mail, so hit and miss. So, you know, we stopped direct mail for a couple of years because it got so competitive. And then a few months ago, we decided to test three months of direct mail and it, it didn't work. We didn't get anything from it. So those months were increased on the budget and we've tried other things, you know, kind of hit and miss. But I would say at least half of our budget goes to TV for sure. And you would say for, I guess, your company, TV has been the most consistent source of lead gen? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Like I said, it's very automated, so we don't have to spend a lot of time on it. It produces leads, it produces results. So I think there was even one point where I aired the same commercial for like a year and a half and didn't touch it just because it was producing and I didn't feel like we needed to do anything with it. And then, yeah, I mean, it's a high return on investment. It's very automated. It builds a lot of credibility. And if you're doing other marketing, like we're doing, like we do, you know, a little bit of PPC, we do Facebook, we've got some, I own a digital billboard in Wichita that we put our stuff on, but TV by itself is the biggest way to brand yourself and build that credibility. And it's allowed us to get deals over the competition. Like people will call us and say, Hey, we saw your postcard or we saw this or that. And we called you because we've seen you on TV and we know you're credible. And we've gotten deals that way too, where they trusted us over other people because of that, even if we were on the lower side of the offer range. Kind of makes sense. Like if I were going to sell my house, like non-traditionally to an investor and I got a postcard from some anonymous person versus, hey, there's some guy on TV. I've seen his commercials all the time. He seems like a trustworthy guy. I'd rather sell to this person than some stranger. Yeah. It's interesting. The celebrity st- list, like I told you with the construction guy, I mean, he's in construction, right? I mean, it's not a sexy business, but he was on TV and it was like, I played poker with him. I was kind of like, I'm not giddy by any means. It was like celebrity status. I'm like, man, I'm playing with this guy and I see him on TV all the time. It's pretty cool. So yeah, there's just something about TV, you know, whether you pay to be on TV or whether you get paid to be on TV, the people just, they see on TV and it just builds so much credibility and rapport with people. So what is the process like? Like, how do you even get on TV in the first place? Well, that's why I think TV is not very competitive is people think it's harder than it really is. So luckily when I got started, I had my media buyer and a media buyer is basically someone that goes to the stations, negotiates rates for you. And my media buyer has a production crew as well. So he was able to produce the commercial and all that. So I went into the studio, I shot it. He helped me with that. I put the script together. He kind of tweaked it for me. It was my first time. He was able to help me through the process, which completely streamlined getting on TV. I'm pretty good on camera overall just because I've done it for so long. But even going in the studio and filming it, I was still a little bit, I don't want to say scared, but a little nervous. But once I got in there and I did it, I mean, like if you gave me a script right now, I could look at it, go and shoot it. And it's no problem. Like it's very simple now that I've done it so many times. But even when I did it the first time, I was nervous, but it really wasn't as hard as I thought it was going to be. And then I had a production person. I had someone negotiating the rates for me. You know, I had someone on my team that was able to guide me through the process. So it was a lot easier than if I were to just have gone into the studio or, you know, called the studios and and the stations and said, hey, I want to be on TV and not knowing where to start. Yeah. And again, from a cost perspective, you said 3,500. That sounds pretty affordable. I thought being on TV would cost tens of thousands of dollars, you know, what kind of budget should people, I guess, save to even consider doing something like this? 
And it depends on the market. You know, I started with 3,000. I've tested all the way up to 12,000 on my market. Wichita, Kansas is a fairly small market. The reach for TV is about a million. So, I mean, it's not super small, but it's not millions by any means. So it just depends on the market. I've got students that I've taught TV to that are spending as little as $3,000. And I have students that are spending $15,000 just depending on the market. So, you know, the more money you have to spend, the faster reach we can get and the more frequency. But even in the smaller markets, we're starting to test smaller budgets and getting on getting on less stations with smaller budgets. So I'd say on the low end, $3,000 depending on the market. But, you know, if you're in a bigger market, you could spend at least five to 15, just depending on how fast you want to get out of the gates and how many people you want to reach quickly. And is that like 3000 per month or 3000 per campaign? How does that work? I'm sorry, 3000 per month. Yes, that's a monthly ad spend. So I mentioned, you know, the first month I spent $3,000, got 35 back in return. Last month I spent 7000 I'm going to get over 100000 back in return. So, you know, I like to get, I say to my students that I teach this to and help implement is if you can get a two to three times return on your investment within a six to 12 month period, that's a win. If you could even potentially get your money back, if you're in it for the long term, like if you can even get a 1x return, that's not bad within your first six to 12 months because you're building traction, you're building your brand, you're building like people are seeing you quite often. You know, even me, there were years that I was, you know, getting a three to five times return. And, you know, now I've optimized it and done some things where I get a, over a 10 times return on my investment. So, yeah, I mean, the return or the spend versus what you can get on a return is incredible, especially when you look at the return on time. That's one of the biggest things I look at. People say, What's your cost per lead? What's your da 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 whatever? I mean, my ROI on TV is one of the highest, if not the highest of any other marketing method I have, but my return on time is probably higher than any other as well because I don't have to do a lot. I have to get a good message out there. I have to let it run and I don't have to do a lot of management with it. Mm-hmm. And then once you see the advertisement, do you just have some kind of generic caller number where it gets filtered through or does it go directly to like your cell phone? I have a whole system behind it. So you have to have a really good tracking number and really good vanity number. So people see the commercial for 30 seconds. You got to make sure you have a good number. I have a a call tracking system that tracks the calls so we know where they came from. And then I have a team that answers the calls, pre-qualifies the lead, and then passes it on to my acquisitions team that will take the lead, go on the appointment and close the deal. So that's how we have it set up. We have, you know, all the way from marketing, all the way to acquisition, and then all the way down to disposition and we have people that handle the lead all the way through the flow. Yeah, that makes sense because I can only imagine if you're showing this commercial to millions of people, you might get a lot of unqualified leads of people who are trying to sell their home for like, you know, 10 times above market price, you know, who knows, right? So it's good that you have that system in place to prevent that from happening. And when you have your campaign set up, do you choose like the time and the channels that the advertising is shown on? Yeah, we do. So like I said, I had a media buyer that was really good at helping me pick schedules. So I told him my demographic, you know, our demographic is over, you know, 50, 55 plus mainly. They've, you know, inherited a home or they're going into a nursing home potentially. You know, they own the home a long time and just have a lot of repairs and maintenance. They bought it 30 plus years ago and they just haven't done a lot to it and it shows. So I gave him the demographics. He went to the stations, kind of looked at the different shows and stations that our demographic fit brought the schedule to me. And then over the years, I've just tweaked it. And that's one of the reasons I think we have that 10x return right now is because we've just been able to tweak it over time and realize what worked and maybe didn't work because we've invested in some really expensive spots that just didn't produce any results. 
And then we've also found really cheap spots that we've invested in that have done really well. So yep, you get to choose it. And then my media buyer works with all of our students and helps them buy the media. And then he's worked with me for nine years. So he knows my business really well. He knows you know, what stations we've been on, what shows we've been on and what's worked. So yeah, we get to choose the stations and all that. And our media buyer is very hands-on in that. Can you give us an example of like, you say expensive spot that didn't work out for you guys? Yeah. I mean, like if you do like primetime news, we realized that that was a spot that was really expensive. It's probably three to five times more expensive than some of our other commercials. So those are the ones that were expensive that we invested in and we've invested in some others. So, you know, luckily our demographic, we feel like watches shows that are fairly inexpensive to advertise on. And that's why we get, I think, really good results and we get a really good reach. I see. So they're probably like old reruns and maybe late at night. So they're not as expensive as something that would be like right then and there where everyone's watching. Yeah, we do some really cheap late night stuff. We sprinkle in, I think it's like dollar commercials, literally late night. And then, you know, it can range anywhere from a dollar to I think $30 in Wichita, Kansas for a commercial. So it's still pretty inexpensive, but it gets a really good reach. And yeah, so. Okay, interesting. Now on the subject of TV, of course, you know, not now, COVID, Netflix and Hulu, Amazon Prime, Disney Plus, these all boom like crazy because people want to watch their content on TV. But that being said, these are all things that cut the cord where you no longer have these advertisements. How do you think that would affect the way you continue this going forward? You know, I hadn't really thought about that lately. Someone asked me that question about COVID and what it's done for us. I'm guessing it's probably been a little bit better just because people watch TV more. We're not on Netflix, but like Hulu and YouTube TV and Cox Communications, you know, anybody who has local stations on their network, we are on. But I would say it's probably helped, you know, that people are watching TV more. I think it may be, we're going to go back and try and renegotiate some rates because of COVID. There's a lot of businesses that aren't advertising anymore. So the supply and demand, you know, there's less demand and more supply of commercials. So I think we can go back and renegotiate some rates. But yeah, I think COVID's helped us and I think it will continue to. But even when, you know, people aren't watching TV as much, I mean, still, there's still a lot of people watching TV. That's something that's never going to stop. I mean, TV's never going to go away. And I even asked my media buyer that. I'm like, is there going to be a point where our stations and our shows just don't work? And he's like, these shows and stations have been around for so long that it's going to take a lot for people to switch over fully to Netflix or fully to things that just don't have commercials. But it's probably not going to happen. There's always going to be shows with commercials. I think it's also maybe your demographic as well. You know, they're like the older generation. And so maybe they're not as quick to switch onto these like online platforms where they have to pay a subscription for just Netflix or just Hulu versus, oh, I have cable and let me just switch to this channel and watch the show. Yeah, but even like I switched to YouTube TV recently. YouTube TV wasn't around even just, I think a few years ago, if I'm not mistaken, I'm, I'm not sure exactly how old it is. But like, you know, even with people switching over to YouTube TV and Hulu, there's still local stations on those networks. So our commercials are still going to run, you know, Netflix and Amazon Prime or Amazon Video, you know, those don't have commercials, you have to pay subscription and you don't have commercials. But like I said, I just feel like even the older audience, if they do subscribe to YouTube TV and some of those other, you know, digital online platforms, I mean, they're still going to be commercials, they're still going to get hit with commercials. Yeah. So I guess what you're saying is right now you may not be on Hulu's actual advertising platform, but maybe sometime in the future, if like TV does die out, you could still go to these platforms and go on their advertisements because they are hyper local and they are actually based on like this profile, this person's buying criteria. 
Yeah, I don't think lo- local commercials will ever go away. Again, I asked my media buyer that. He's got, I mean, he knows so much and he's got the in on all the stuff that's going on with media day by day. So yeah, commercials aren't going to go away. I think there's always going to be local commercials, especially with the shows that are on local networks. Like people are always going to watch those shows. They're not going to go just to Netflix and say, I'm going to watch movies or series and things like that. There's just always going to be commercials on and as long as that happens, which I think will be a long, long time, we will continue to do TV. That's amazing. So what's next for you guys? Are you going to stay in Wichita or are you going to move out to maybe in the San Diego market sometime in the future? No, I've got a lot of other businesses. So I love teaching people about TV. I've got a coaching program and I'm, I'm spending a lot of time helping students implement TV in their market. So I feel like that's a way for me to have a really good business and also give back as well and, and help the community. I've run virtual real estate masterminds. So I get a lot of high level people together to to talk real estate and share what's working in their market, what's not working and help build a community that kind of helps and supports each other. I own co-working space. I mentioned funding earlier. I've got a funding business. So I've spent the time building a real estate investing business. And I already put that hard work into that. San Diego and just California in general is five to 10 times more expensive. So for me to take something that's very hands-off and automated and cheap and do it in like, you know, like a San Diego, California, just wouldn't make sense to me. But if someone came to me and said, hey, I've got a really good system to invest in San Diego and I want you to invest in it and help me and that kind of thing, you know, I would do that. I'm all about leverage and automation now where I just don't want to be hands-on in real estate investing. Yeah, sounds great. Well, Tony, this has been an awesome interview. Do you have any last minute tips that you'd like to leave for our listeners before we finish our show today? No, I don't think so. You know, like I said, just people is a huge thing. And I think that's the thing that's helped me throughout the years, whether it's you know, people I've hired in my business, mentors, you know, going to mastermind events. My media guy has been instrumental in in helping me the last nine years in TV. Having him on my team has been fantastic. And now he's partnered with on my TV program to show real estate investors how to how to get on TV. So realestatemasterstv.com is where you go to find out the information on that program. And then, you know, just leverage, just leverage yourself with people. Like, you know, these days I have so many projects going on and so many businesses, but what I found is that you know investors and business owners in general feel like they have to have their hands on everything because they think they do it the best and they care the most. And that's somewhat true. You probably care the most, but you're probably not the best person for that position. There's always somebody that can replace you in what you're doing. I don't do any of my video editing. I don't do any of my YouTube ads. I don't do any of my Facebook ads. I don't do any of my media buying. I don't do my acquisitions. I mean, there's so many things that like I thought were like I needed to have my hands on. But now when I have something that I need to accomplish, whether it's a task or even a business that I start, I always ask myself, who is the person that can take that on? Who is the person that's better than me at whatever it is that I want to take on? And if it's not the highest and best use of my time, meaning it doesn't bring in results right away and it's not highly important then I get somebody else to do it. So I think people just take on way too much in anything, whether it's investing business or maybe even just in general in life, you know, like even have someone clean your house, it's like well worth the investment. So, so that's kind of my soapbox. And that's what I like to preach is just leverage, leverage with people and just having good people on your side. That's great. Like I'm always in the process of trying to replace myself one small piece at a time. Because another thing that you don't really think about is that sometimes when you have too many things on your plate, you tend to procrastinate and then things don't get done. Whereas if you had just assigned that task, it would have gotten done months ago and you would have had much better results from doing that. Absolutely. You hit the nail on the head right there. Mm -hmm. All right, Tony. Well, can you repeat for our listeners one more time where people can reach out to you and 
find out more about your program, about how to learn how to get on TV? Yeah, realestatemasterstv.com is where you go to find out about the TV program. And then I've got a really good uh, mastermind as well for high-level real estate investors. If you meet a certain criteria, I don't charge for it. So it is free to a lot of people. And that's remmastermind.com stands for real estate masters. So remmastermind.com. So yeah, you can find me at those two places. And I appreciate you, Sean, for having me on and appreciate what you do. Awesome. All right, Tony. Thanks so much. All right. Thanks, bud. I hope you enjoyed this episode. You can find the show notes and other episodes on our site, everythingrei.com slash podcast. If you live in the Bay Area, join our meetup group, where we meet up twice a month in San Jose at meetup.com slash everythingrei. And if you thought this was a great episode, let me know what your key takeaway was and share it with a friend who's interested in real estate investing. Thanks and have a great day. This was another episode of the Everything Real Estate Investing Show with Sean Pan. If you enjoyed the show, leave us a five-star rating. It will only take a second and it'll help a lot. You can contact me at sean at everythingrei.com. That's S-E-A-N at everythingrei.com. Thanks and have a great day.